Hi, everybody. This is Randy Beamer with News 4 San Antonio, and this is San Antonio's Voice, the podcast. Interesting uh, guest today with all kinds of things to talk about, and joining us as well, our assignment editor, Sal Del Cid. Sal? Hey, Randy. Good to be with you. Hey, a lot of people dig the Alamo, not just in San Antonio, but all around Texas, and this podcast has a lot of information about what might happen to the Alamo including the Cenotaph, the guest today is Councilman Roberto Trevino. That's right. He's, uh, he has a couple of different uh, titles, helping to uh, be in charge of the Alamo Master Plan they've been working on for years and years, and they need support right now. They're trying to get support for that because the Texas Historical Commission is going to vote next month on whether to move the Cenotaph, big part of it. Yeah, so that's coming up pretty soon, and something that's also impacted possibly by the Alamo is the Riverwalk. Now, it's down the line, but Davino told you in this interview, Randy, that the effects of the Alamo changing could actually expand the Riverwalk in some form or capacity. Yeah, that's uh, kind of one of those down-the-road, pie-in-the-sky kind of things that is a hypothetical, not going to happen right away if it does, but it was interesting to hear that. Uh, also, we talked about the Woolworth Building. We talked about the Alamo Master Plan um, and the museum, what's happening with that in terms of the process and the plans. He talked about the budget. He talked about, as you said, uh, sidewalks, lots of things, development going on downtown, and, of course, COVID-19 as well. Yeah, the coronavirus is still with us, unfortunately, but he's got a plan that's going to start pretty soon here that's going to help San Antonio restaurants, he hopes, by shutting down some streets, hoping to give restaurants more table space. I thought that was interesting, and his office says that's going to start up here pretty soon, Randy. And uh, he just has a lot to talk about. It's a little longer than uh, most of them, but I hope you like this podcast. San Antonio's voice, Councilman Roberto Trevino. First of all, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. I know you're incredibly busy right now. you got the budget. you got all kinds of stuff you're working on. Uh, the Alamo. Yeah. Where are you in the Alamo master plan right now? I've noticed a few things on the uh, website and then the Facebook page. There's a new rendering. What does it all mean? Where are you? Well, I, we're we're kind of waiting for the Texas Historical Commission to to uh, make a ruling on the permit to relocate the cenotaph. And so, uh, what people don't know is that we actually submitted the the permit request last year in December of 2019, and have been waiting all this time. And so, THC has delayed uh, making a ruling or, or issuing the permit all this time and so there is currently and I say currently because we you know this is what's happened and we had one in January then in February and then they they scheduled it for March and uh, you know April May and June and next thing we know we have one scheduled for September 22nd Uh, and uh, you know obviously we we hope that everything goes well Um, but that's what's created a lot of the the delay I think people think that it's the pandemic, but it's not. The construction can go on, it, it, just in general, not just at the Alamo, but uh, what's what's really kind of delayed part of this process has been the, uh, the ruling at THC. And, and so we're unfortunately having to deal with, um, you know, what, what that uh, commission decides on what they're going to hear and when. And they're getting some pressure. Of course they're getting pressure. I mean, it's in, in essence, I mean, that's, that's kind of the... Uh, Part of the the issue is that 
they're getting pressure from from all over and uh, but you're also trying to get support for the plan to move the cenotaph correct well is we that also harder to do than to to put pressure on something like that it's easier to gin up opposition sometimes than it is to get support hey isn't it it's, it's always easier to break things than it is to fix them right so uh, at the heart of this is that we are trying to tell a complete story and it, and and uh, I think you know, everybody in San Antonio is very much aware of the work that happened here. This is a piece that, uh, this is a body that is not really of San Antonio. This is a, a statewide body. And uh, they're not as keen to all the work that was put in to, uh, to get the Alamo to the point it is today. And that's to establish the vision and guiding principles, to engage a citizens advisory committee made up of a diverse a group of people that helped to establish what is it that we're really looking for? What are we after? And I, what I can tell you is that it, it is, it, simply put, is to tell a complete story from the indigenous periods to the colonial to the battle of the Alamo, and of course that thereafter. And so um, what we know is that, that the battle is a significant event and it becomes the portal by which we can tell uh, a lot of this compelling history. What we also know is the, the story that has, has been uh, well-known, well-recognized uh, for all these years is a mythology. It's wrong. It's bunk. Um, we don't, San Antonians don't want that. San Antonians don't want to tell that. It, it perpetuates a lie. It perpetuates the kinds of things that we have worked hard to uh, work against and make sure that we, as we tell a complete story. So uh, that's what's, what's, what's at stake here. Moving the cenotaph, and people will ask, well, why, why relocate the cenotaph? It, the cenotaph <clears throat> done by uh, 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 Copini uh, is, is seen as, as, as an artistic, important monument to, to some. The, the issue as we see it is that it sits in the middle of the historic mission footprint, San Antonio de Valero, or the nickname as we know it, the Alamo. It represents a very small slice of that history and a very narrow view of that, by the way. So if we are truly going to tell a complete story, if we are going to tell a, a story that unifies and heals a city, the cenotaph being in the middle of the site where you're going to be telling all these stories simply has to be relocated about 500 feet to the south. And a lot of people don't know the history of the cenotaph, that it came... Later, um, it was one of the plans for a monument, but it wasn't the only plan, and the others had died before, and it was controversial when it was put up. It was, and people don't realize that, that it, it also wasn't where, it, it's not in a location where, where people, um, uh, where, where it was originally intended to go. In fact, uh, to your point, it was controversial at the time, uh, it was it, the artist proposed a different location himself. In fact, I have Copini's book, and, and it talks about how he he wanted it uh, pretty much uh, in the most prominent spot you can find anywhere in that plaza, in front of the church. And he, he did even say that that he felt that his monument was was more significant than than the church and the, and the long barracks. It's in his book. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the quote. Uh, the the other point is that the state originally wanted the cenotaph to be about where we're actually locating it. So the, the, the interesting thing about the cenotaph is that uh, 
where we're relocating it to is actually closer to where the state of Texas originally intended the cenotaph to go in the first place. When, when it got located, it got put into an area which was, at the time, simply a roundabout. Now, why is that happening, right? It, it goes back to a lot of the same issues that, that we face uh, at the Alamo, and it's, it's uh, that the, the site itself did not, did not have a lot of people sort of protecting its history or, or telling it correctly. How did a roundabout get built, built in the middle or on top of the historic mission footprint? Well, that's why, because people didn't know any better. I mean, there was a lumber yard there at once, and uh, one, at one time, and so at the heart of this is we're not we're not getting rid of anything. We're making room to tell a complete story, and that's why we need to relocate the, the cenotaph. What do you tell those people who say it's a grave <coughs> marker, it's a sacred item, and it shouldn't be moved? Well, again, uh, it, it, I go back to understanding and knowing history factually and correctly, and so this is very important. It is not a it is not a, the site uh, or a grave marker in any way. In fact, cenotaph means empty tomb, and uh, the, the the key point is is to tell the complete story. And so we now, as we're trying to untangle all the 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 wires. Uh, you know, as a city grew up, grew up around the Alamo, uh, to tell that story more fully, more completely, we're, we're just making space at the table. And so uh, I, think, I think people might feel that that's the case, but it's just not factually so. Did you think it would be this tough to do this? I mean, it was years ago when uh, the committees came up with, I think it was six items of what you wanted to do, and the six, uh, number six was to renovate and relocate the cenotaph. I mean, it was right out there at the beginning. It, it was, and it was unanimously approved, right? So the entire Citizens Advisory Committee uh, from the get-go uh, all agreed that in order to tell that story, we have to relocate the cenotaph. Yes, the cenotaph also does need work. It, it, it's, it, is, uh, it is a... People think it's a solid piece of marble. It's not a solid piece of marble. It's actually a concrete structure that's holding up marble panels. Those marble panels are held in place by aluminum ties. We now know, in, con in the construction technology industry, uh, we know that, 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 that those ties are corrosive. They, they, will, they will lose their connectivity to the concrete and the marble over time. Uh, so we need to replace those, and, and we need to do it right. So this time they're going to be replaced. It's going to be a concrete structure, and the ties will be stainless steel, which is a more appropriate uh, tie. But yeah, I mean the the, the ties are, are corroding. Uh, the cenotaph needs uh, uh, some work, and again, uh, the Citizens Advisory Committee voted to to essentially relocate the cenotaph unanimously. They, there was no question about it. In fact, there was no debate. And now there are some who say, well, if you even try to move it, it's going to crumble. No, uh, we have, what we have is our, we have some of the, uh, the best experts uh, in construction, in masonry, in engineering, uh, everybody that, that we need to, uh, to, to understand how to do this, they're, they're there to, to help uh, address this issue. Uh, you know the, the the best engineers have come out. Uh, in fact, we uh, the engineer that came out 
has come out to to study the cenotaph, seen some of the the, the spalling, the cracking, uh, is the person who determined that hey, those aluminum ties were the wrong ties uh, on that cenotaph, but the concrete structure in itself uh, is is going to be a similar uh, a similar structure to what we build when we when we erect uh, the new structure. So. The, the concrete and, and the marbles uh, is a good mix. It's, it was the ties that, that creates uh, the bigger issue. We have, in fact, um, the, the mason that will be working on it is a, is a multi-generational uh, mason from San Antonio, a well-respected mason all over Texas for, for his knowledge, and uh, is going to be working on the cenotaph. We even had a meeting with some of our critics to show them I wanted, I wanted to introduce them to the contractors and the mason and to let them know, like, ask all the questions you want. And, and you can see that, that, that these are the guys that know uh, how it's done. And uh, I, I will tell you that uh, they left there impressed. They, they, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that, that we have the right crew and we're doing it in the right way. I guess the, the, the question is now really just uh, a matter of opinion. The uh, players since a year ago have changed in terms of uh, the committee and the leadership, and you've kind of taken on a new role, whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> Did you want to, and how tough is it now in that position that you are? Just so let people know, you have a couple of titles there. Yeah, so I, uh, from, from the get-go, um, back in 2014, I, I, was, I was named the, the tri-chair of the Citizens Advisory Committee and uh, proud to, to continue to be the tri-chair all these years. Um, later, uh, in 2015, uh, we, we worked with the General Land Office, State of Texas, and the Alamo Endowment to create a tri-party agreement. Uh, I helped write that tri-party agreement uh, that basically established that incredible collaboration and partnership. Uh, this is it's, it's historic, and, and, and we couldn't have gotten this far without this cooperative agreement. And uh, and so when we created that, I, be- I was a member. I became a member of the Alamo Management Committee, which is made up of six members: um, the District One Councilman, myself, uh, the City Manager, uh, represents the city, and then two from the GLO and two from the Endowment. Uh, as you mentioned uh, recently, the the chair of the Alamo Management Committee uh, retired a- in April, and so I've taken on the role as the chairman of the Alamo Management Committee as well. And as that public face of it, it falls to you to explain all this in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of this really emotional debate, which also turned political at the state level, between officials. Were you surprised by that, or is this just more... uh, I don't know what what the word is that you have to negotiate. Well, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't get involved with with other other groups or um, or other politics at play. Um, you know, the I think that the, the the way I've been able to navigate the Alamo project has been to adhere to the vision and guiding principles and to uh, everything that we worked on as a citizens advisory committee and then carried forward as an Alamo management committee. Um, we have a plan. We have a good plan, and it's it's a, it's a really a- ambitious one. It's a great uh, opportunity for everybody, f- not just for San Antonio, but for the state of Texas, and for that matter, for world history. The world needs this kind of uh, uh, history, this this way of telling history. 
which, where it incorporates uh, very thoughtful subject matter experts to give us the right information uh, aside from the politics. And so uh, whatever whatever's happening, uh, you know, th those are the, unfortunately, uh, that, that, uh, that is not something that, that I feel like uh, should affect this project, and uh, we'll just keep pressing on the facts. Maybe I hadn't seen it before, but now there's more on the Alamo Master Plan site to share your opinion, show your support, and then there's a line in there I think that says, if this isn't, if it isn't moved, the plan could unravel. Yeah, uh, I think I, this is this is the biggest difference. Uh, so we've done so much work here uh, in San Antonio. We had over 200 public meetings, countless private meetings. We had uh, many, many citizens advisory committee meetings, uh, meetings that, uh, with the management committee almost every other week. Um, there's just been a lot of work to get us to this point. Uh, as I mentioned, the last the last step in this is is the Texas Historic Commission, and um, and so in in understanding how important it is to move the cenotaph, it's it's really tied back to our lease agreement with the state of Texas. So we do have a, a, a 99 year uh, lease agreement with the state of Texas for, for the historic mission footprint. Uh, tie, the city owns the plaza. The city, so yeah, people need to understand that, that uh, the reason the city's playing a role in this or gets to play a role is because the site has been bifurcated for so many years. In fact, because nobody really knew what, what the Alamo was they, 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 they'll show you a picture of a church or a building, right? But we, we like to say that the Alamo is not a building, it's a place. And so um, a lot of it where the city and roads and infrastructure have grown on top of it and around it. And so, um, you know, the, the, the real important issue uh, with all of that is, uh, is that we tied everything that we worked hard for in the master plan to the lease to say, we are willing to lease this property, at least the, the, the mission footprint that the city owns, to the state of Texas un, under the condition that, that it's following everything we've all agreed on. Everything that the city council agreed on, the, the citizens advisory committee agreed on, our historic design review commission agreed on, planning commission agreed on, everything that we've presented. So uh, you know, the, the, the project is really three parts. And uh, it starts with the plaza and creating a, a what we call a period neutral plaza so that we can tell those stories. So that means the cenotaph has to be relocated. Restore the church and the long barracks is the second piece. Those are the two basically uh, still, you know, archaeological artifacts still on site. Um, and no, the parapet, parapet on top is not original. Uh, and then the, the, the third piece is across the street with the Crockett Block buildings on that part of the property, which the state owns, uh, also is uh, will will be a museum, and so those are the three pieces of this project. The we are at the beginning or phase one of, of the the Alamo project, and the idea is to make sure that we accomplish each one of these phases so that we can have the complete project we've all envisioned that we've all presented. Uh, I can tell you the the work of the church in the Long Barracks is ongoing now to help preserve those buildings, and uh, you know the 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 plaza is is currently you know just awaiting this this last piece here with the THC, and then the last will hopefully be a world class 
museum to really you know bring it all together. Where are you in the process of those plans? People haven't really seen the plans for what that's going to look like. Yeah. So the, again, the, the 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 church in the Long Barracks, are, they're they're doing a lot of archaeological work at the church in the Long Barracks, studying, uh, doing uh, moisture tests. People, what what most people don't know is that the church. If you look at the church, uh, the ground actually came up. The city grew up on top of it. And so if you've ever been in the church, you'll notice that the doorways seem low. And if you were like me, you probably thought, wow, I guess people were shorter. or I'm not sure why they would build them that low because they don't seem like the right height for a doorway. It's not because they built it that way. It's because the floor actually came up almost two feet. The dirt. The, right. the dirt, yeah, from, from the, its original elevation. Uh, and that's why when you look at the Alamo, it's always it's darker in the bottom than it is as you go up. It's dark because it's, it's wicky moisture. That moisture is destroying the artifact. The rising damp. Yeah. And so we did a, we did a, what they call a, a, a tar paper test. We just put down some, some black paper, uh, tar paper down. And every day it's losing, the, the, the stone is spalling off of the building. It, it's, I mean, this is a real deal. And our, the master planner, George Carmeas, has coined the phrase, the building is sick and it needs, it needs intervention, it needs help so that it can last uh, another 100 years. And right? you're starting on that now. What are you doing in that? Well, the, right now they're doing data analysis. So they're checking the moisture. They're understanding. They, they got to where they, they, they now understand where the original elevation was. Uh, we have a better understanding of how we can... Uh, uh, you know, reveal the the actual height of the building itself. So when people, when we talk about the plaza and the mission footprint, one of the proposals from the design team was to bring the the original historic footprint back to its original level. Dig down to where it was, basically. Right, which is about 19 to 24 inches uh, all across the entire plaza. So, Is that still in the works? Is that still a plan? Yeah, yeah, that, that's part of the plan. And, again, the idea is that the city, the roads, the infrastructure, everything sort of grew up over that. And, and it will also help to delineate uh, the footprint so that you can see the place, right? In fact, you know, plaza is just a fancy word for place. And now uh, there's a lot of work going on in the rest of the plaza. A lot of it's closed off right now. What is being done? Well, so there's a lot of infrastructure that's underneath, and, and so you can imagine that not only did roads go in and buildings all around it, but unfortunately uh, what has gone in over the years has been a lot of sewer lines, trunk lines, electrical, a lot of infrastructure that went in, and it, it is it is a, a maze of infrastructure elements all, all over the site. And so one of the things uh, we've been doing, we uh, relocated the bandstand that was was uh, on, on the south end of the plaza. Uh, they're, they're digging down to locate all the utility lines. We've got to be very careful. So when, when the cenotaph is relocated, the, the, uh, the, the, the footprint of the foundation needs to be, we need to be very careful that it's not on top of a major uh, trunk line or sewer line that could add even more cost to to what we're doing. So, are you moving those lines around? The idea is to, to just simply try to avoid them altogether. The, so, so you know, we found a way to locate the cenotaph. 
just enough in, uh, of a sweet spot within all that infrastructure to make it work. So um, that being said, I mean, we still have to do a lot of construction and uh, you know, that's what that's what they're working on right now, and of course we're waiting to get the approval so that we can start to um, disassemble. And in fact, back to your point about you know will that if we try to move it, it'll 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 disintegrate. That's not the case. We will remove the cap. So th these are just pieces. If you look at the cenotaph, it's like it's like any masonry structure with bricks or or panels that you you will remove them one at a time, carefully lowering them, and when they're on the ground, we will rehabilitate them and restore them before they can go back onto the new structure. The, the difference though is as, as you remove them from the top down, you got to put them up the opposite from the bottom up. Will they stay on the plaza? Some people say, okay, you're going to move them away and we'll never come back. No, not the case. Uh, part of the plan and part of the, the plan of the, the construction team was to make sure that all the elements stay on site. In fact, we have, we have a great plan of, of making sure that all the panels are kept on site, and a lot of the work that will happen uh, will be demonstrated and and be very will be very transparent in in how each panel will will have uh, you know someone who who is is really looking at every bit of it to to make sure that it's being rehabilitated. And after that, after the cenotaph, the challenge of that and moving that is the challenge of what happens to those buildings. The, the Crockett Block buildings, uh, you're correct. And so uh, so we have, there's three buildings that you're referencing, the Crockett Block, um, the Palace Building, and the Woolworth Building. Uh, so what, what we have and what we've committed to is, again, we've got to tell a complete history at, at the Alamo. And that means all the history, uh, civil rights history included. Uh, in fact, uh, we 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 did find uh, actually the Alamo itself. The organization found an original uh, cell of of a slave market at the Alamo inside the old church. Uh, yes, correct. And so one of the things uh, that is so important for us is to be clear that we we will be telling all layers of history, all of them, and uh, from as I mentioned, you know, good and bad, and so. With with regards to the buildings, we know the the Crockett block, the Crockett building itself is probably the one in the best shape, uh, with the most significant architectural features. The palace, not so much. The Woolworth, which, those buildings are are still getting uh, st studied architecturally, but we also did a cultural analysis of the buildings to get a better understanding of of the significance and the role that they played in our in our city's history. Uh, one of the things that we want to be clear about is. It is so important. Uh, in fact, we have to be very, very disciplined to, to tell history as accurately as possible. And the civil rights story of, of, of the peaceful lunch counter integration in San Antonio is one that was uh, made up of many lunch counters. All uh, down Houston Street. Well, most of them on Houston Street. I would say six of them on Houston Street and then the, the one just down uh, Alamo Street. Um, and, of course, there was a story about how some did not, right? Joskies did not. Um, <clears throat> the the pictures that that are often shown it, to demonstrate the the uh, integration or 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 to show or to document that moment were mislabeled. They are they are actually in fact the Crest Building, 
which we're working very hard with uh, Dr. Lattimore and Trinity, Trinity University to create a African American Civil Rights Institute in that very spot where those pictures were taken to talk about that whole story. And so this, to back up for people who don't know, in 1962, San Antonio was the site of the first peaceful integration of lunch counters in the country after the South, after they had uh, a battle over in the Southeast someplace, Mississippi. Was that right? What? Uh, and then there was a Our Lady of the Lake University student in, who helped get those six lunch counters integrated <coughs> with the help of uh, religious leaders and the mayor and the mm-hmm. police chief. It, it was a very it was a peaceful uh, integration. Uh, I think uh, you know it's something that San Antonio should be very proud of. And again, another layer that overlaps, at least in in, in the in the portion that was the Woolworth building. And some people believe that the Woolworth building, you're talking about the different labels, was the first one integrated when it was the Crest building. That was the first one yeah, integrated. Yeah, in that, terms that, of that week, there were several integrated, and the first one of the day, first one on a Wednesday, I think it was, uh, was the Crest. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and but, it, but people still have that idea. The Woolworth was the first one. It's the most important one, and that that one shouldn't be touched, that Woolworth building. Well, I, I think they're all important, and, uh, and and one of the things we have to try to do is we're, we're, we're working very hard, and I can say this as, as an Alamo Management Committee, we've committed to, to telling a complete story, and so how do we do that? Um, you know, to say we're, we can't touch something, uh, I think, is it makes the rest of the project uh, more difficult or more challenging. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, the, the key is how do we integrate? How do we make it part of what, the story that we're trying to tell? So the first thing to remember, a, a, a commitment we made early on at the Alamo with the Alamo Management Committee and the Citizens Advisory Committee was that we're not recreating anything because we don't want to confuse people. Like The last thing we want to do is, it, is rebuild stone walls, rebuild you know, pieces of, of a mission like they did San Jose. San Jose is a rebuilt mission. It's not an original. And uh, and so... In the 30s, it was rebuilt. Correct. And so the, the key is, as and there was many who wanted us to simply... I mean, there was a real push to rebuild the mission to look like, almost like a movie set, right? I mean, let's let's go in, let's bring back all the stone walls, you know, but let's, let's put you know, all the cannons in place. Why we, not do that? Well, because it misrepresents history once again, and it, it, it blurs the line between what is authentic or real and what isn't. And so we don't want to do that. We also know that, that in, in many parts of, of the perimeter that there is, we found the footing, so those are historic as well. Uh, we have to protect those artifacts, much like we have to protect... Uh, all the burial sites. I mean, this is this is an important sacred site for so many. And there's people buried there. There's there's artifacts. We we are not trying to uh, desecrate any of that. So uh, that's the principle that we're trying to follow in terms of how we address this project. So now we go to the Woolworth Building. If you go to the Woolworth Building, what's in there now? It's it's Tomb Rider, a carnival attraction, and and what I can tell you is that the building itself has been gutted and any remnants of what what's once was there during the civil rights era 
is is gone, uh, but again, but not lost in that we can tell the stories and we can we can interpret the the history much like we're going to interpret the history at the Alamo. So it's basically just the facade of the Woolworth building that's intact from that era. Yeah, and, and up to a point, I mean, my understanding is even the facade had some changes as well. Again, I mean, buildings change over time. The most, I think, the most uh, intact has been the Crockett building. But but to your point, the facade is intact, and and then what? what even though it looks like a row of buildings, like they're monolithic, they're 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 actually different structures, and so those are the kinds of things that present a challenge that. that the facades or you know the, the 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 envelope of those buildings are one thing and then what's inside is is something else um, you know what we've done is we've we've committed to say to ask the architect who's going to be designing the museum to take a closer look you know how can how can these elements be integrated or celebrated in a way that we are telling all those histories i mean this is this is a, a project about place, and so we absolutely recognize that, that Woolworth is, is, is an important place in, in our nation's history. Uh, you know, I was, in fact, not too long ago, before the pandemic, I was in Washington, D.C. and got to go to the uh, African-American uh, Civil Rights Museum, I mean, Af- African-American History Museum, and um, it's quite incredible. And in that museum, you'll see the, 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 the history of, of lunch counter protests and the Woolworth that was the uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, Woolworth. And so, you know, we also want to be careful that people are not confusing those two, right? The one where there was the original battle and the 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 one Arrest, the, the, yeah the the ones that the, those images have have you know they're in history books they're uh, in fact again they're in this museum which is an amazing museum um, yeah you know, we want to tell we need to tell a history that is it is as accurate as can be because you know everything depends on it if 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 we're not accurate then everything else is questioned. Right, so like, that's why it's so critical that we have to we have to be disciplined about how we tell that. Do you know what's going to happen to those buildings yet? Are they going to be raised? I, I don't know what's going to happen to those buildings. Uh, I I think that there's preferences amongst uh, different management committee members, um, and uh, you know again de- depending on on the the architectural design and sort of the what they call the programming of the museum. Uh, you know, I I like to think that there's creative ways to to solve this, and uh, you know, my hope is that we can get a uh, you know someone in place that can help uh, uh, you know consolidate all that history and tell it in in the most important way. Um, what I can tell you is that there's option. There's many people have tossed out different options, like do you save the facade, but there's also a lot of people who think that that's that in itself is not a not a good answer. So I don't know what the answer is. Uh, uh, what I can say is that, uh, without a doubt, <clears throat> unanimously, we're all committed to telling the history. And you couldn't save the facades by somehow moving them, or moving the buildings, or what's left of the buildings. Yeah, you know, and that's that's also that's also come up. I mean, we moved the Fairmont Hotel many years ago. I mean, on an, an entire building. So to move facades is is, is probably a, a, 
not as complicated a proposition as the Fairmont Hotel, but uh, that has come up. And uh, the question is, where and how do we do that? And again, it's about place. And uh, again, I, I, I want to be clear that, you know, I, we have to stick to, our, to, the, to the principles of telling the story and, and let that guide how we, how we can get there as a project. Um, you know, it might take some creativity to figure that out. Uh, we're not quite there. Uh, Could that be an option? Of yeah, I mean, I, you know, I personally, I think, I think, um, you know, saving the facades and and finding a, a location, I think, would be would be great. Uh, but we want to be. We also want people to know, as you pointed out, it's it it really is a Houston Street story, and so. I mean, where do you move it? Where would you move a building like that that's not on Houston Street? And uh, and how 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 an interesting of a story is it that so much history of our city and 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 for that matter, really, uh, what I, what I've what I've heard people say is that this is the spot where you can tell most of the history that happened on this hemisphere. It's it's in this footprint. So. We got to be. We have to be thoughtful about that, and 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 be very very uh, uh, diligent about about that work. Is it going to be close to done by seven or two thousand twenty four, which would be three hundred years since the Alamo, where it is? Um, you would hope to have everything done by two thousand twenty four. Well, I, I can. Yeah, you know, it depends what piece. So there, I, I mentioned there's three pieces of the project. So there's different phases. Um, the the plaza and 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 the and the the historic church and long barracks, I think, uh, quite easily sh- could be done and should be done before twenty twenty four. As far as the museum, because again, there is no settled uh, design or or or, or uh, projected way uh, on which we're going to do that. Uh, you know, we're 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 slow. We're well, I should say we're rapidly losing. Uh, precious time to get us there, so uh, I'm hopeful, uh, but it, it's it's going to be on an accelerated schedule, at least for the museum. What about the entertainment district that's supposed to be a place for those businesses that are across from the Alamo now to go? Where is that in the process? Of, where's the entertainment district going to be? And could that be a place where you uh, have the facades of those buildings? You know, that 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 could be a possibility. What what we have to remind people, though, is the city doesn't doesn't actually create uh, you know commercial projects like an entertainment district. We don't we don't do that. We can facilitate and support uh, things like an entertainment district, but but we need the commercial partners to also step in. And um, you know, there there's been talk about expanding the Riverwalk. There's been a talk about creating an entertainment district. Uh, the role the city plays uh, is is really only in facilitating the conversation and providing some kind of support and maybe even incentivizing people to to, to think about that and and hopefully so. I mean, it, uh, for a lot of us, it makes sense that uh, for 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 uh, us to create a, a an area that that a lot of these things can be housed that that some new amenities uh, that we've never seen before. Uh, can live, and of course, uh, some of these uh, businesses that are that are on the footprint now can move too. So, we support that, uh, but it, it's it's not entirely up to the city. 
to make that happen. Well, how would the Riverwalk be expanded? Well, I mean, you just... Uh, uh, and where? Well, the, the short answer is, uh, you know, there, there's ways to expand the, the, the Riverwalk, much like we did the, the Museum Reach and the Mission Reach. So there's ways to do that. Uh, the answer, the short answer is, uh, we don't know where because we don't, we don't have an entertainment district yet. And so without a plan, uh, you know, that incorporates or doesn't incorporate the Riverwalk, we're not really sure. I'm just saying that part of our discussion has been, do we, do we extend the Riverwalk to, to create a, a, an entertainment district? Do, does it exist uh, outside of the Riverwalk? Those are all the questions that we have to ask ourselves. But you think it's important to keep those kinds of businesses in San Antonio? Because it is a tourist area. And one of the things I noticed when the tourism started coming back, going down there every week just to see how it's coming back, those businesses are where some of the people are gravitating. They're going to Alamo Plaza, whether they're looking at the Alamo, but they're finding those and they're looking at Ripley's, believe it or not, and, yeah. and some of the other places, the ride. The, you know, uh, critical to also point, as in the start of this conversation, I mentioned the Citizens Advisory Committee. Uh, those businesses are rep were represented on the Citizens Advisory Committee, and uh, we're committed to, to working with them and and providing them uh, a place in our community. They, they play uh, an important role in tourism and, and help to uh, support revenues that, that are generated to support many things like historic preservation and arts and culture. So yes, of course, we definitely we want to do everything we can to, to help them. Uh, but as I mentioned, I, I think there, we as a city are not, we, we have to be mindful that uh, we can we can uh, try to uh, encourage that development. Uh, this pandemic has sort of created a, a, a more challenging uh, scenario for us, but we'll continue to push. People wonder whether the pandemic, you know, with hotel occupancy tax way down, <laughs> some of the other taxes way down, how much has that, if any, affected the plans for the Alamo Master Plan? Was that much of the money? Or was that already committed? It's the the good news is that money is already committed, uh, and and for the city, it, it is it is really uh, one of the the most amazing economic uh, deals for us is that we we are only putting in thirty eight million dollars in the in the project that has been set aside through bond dollars, uh, and the the state has committed over a hundred million dollars, and then of course the rest of it will be privately fundraised. So. The, the, the trade-off is that the city will gain um, many more revenues through economic development, jobs, many more jobs, um, and uh, you know, increased uh, uh, revenues through those uh, sales tax and property taxes and so forth. So uh, we're, we're, we're definitely, we feel like we're in a, in a good spot, uh, and, and we don't have to worry that, that, that because revenues are down that, that any piece of this project is at risk and that's financially. That's one of the uh, arguments on the Alamo Master Plan website is that this project, if it doesn't go forward, you're going to miss out on an incredible opportunity in terms of money and developing tourism in San Antonio. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly um, we had we have a a, a cooperative agreement that's historic, and uh, yeah, the the hope is that. Or at least it was. It's our belief that this project, seen through, will generate uh, thousands of new jobs, permanent jobs, 
and will help be a, a, a great uh, anchor for our city. In fact, uh, I've said this before, because of the pandemic, uh, a project like this, the timing of a project like this could actually help us recover even faster. So it is our hope that, that we can continue and that we can make this so because uh, we need that help and uh, we, need to, we need to provide a, a path forward that helps the city recover well and heal. Uh, pivoting then just in general over uh, overall downtown development and recovery, that was possibly the slowest part of the city when everybody else started moving back you'd see traffic around 410 you'd see traffic out 1604 went downtown nothing because there was no tourists not nothing but very very little where are you right now in that how is the city trying to get tourism back we're 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 trying different things that we feel can can help uh safely reopen a lot of our businesses and help welcome a lot of uh, not just our locals, but tourists, as, as you mentioned. Uh, we're actually in the process of piloting a new initiative. Uh, we've seen it in other cities, and uh, we're going to try it here where we actually close down sections of, uh, of the road to allow uh, businesses to expand their, their space so they can socially distance. Uh, in, in this one case, we're actually closing down uh, King's Court between uh, Mistletoe and, and St. Mary's, uh, in the Tobin Hill uh, area, there's five restaurants that, that abut that street. They'll get to share that road that will be closed temporarily to help them uh, use that space. So to, put tables to them. outside. There'll be tables. There'll be, it, it allows people to to expand the, their footprint so they can they can maintain their business. Because one of the the issues that we've, we really have had is that it's the it's the amount uh, of, of of square footage that most restaurants have. Uh, they're only operating at 25% or 20% at their capacity is, is, has been very difficult for those businesses, but even more difficult for the people who work there. So we've got to keep in mind that this is affecting small businesses, but it's also affecting a lot of those service industry workers. Uh, so in this pilot program, we're also working uh, with Pearl to, uh, to sh- you know, how do, we, how do we use a lot of our green spaces to expand? And this will translate into a strategy, strategic plan for downtown. Let's let's get outside. And it's pretty hot right now, but if you're in the shade, uh, it, it's it's not so bad. Uh, in fact, we even have a shade competition for for downtown. We're working with the Ameri- shade competition. Yeah, believe it or not, it, does that work? It's well, it's the the, the science behind it is that <clears throat> if you provide enough shade, you can actually have a cooler environment, right? And so downtown does not have a lot of shade. If you go down to the Riverwalk, it actually feels pretty cool because of the shade and the water. But uh, downtown itself, if you're up walking on the sidewalks, there's sections where it is, there's just no relief from the sun. Uh, So working with the American Institute of Architects locally here in San Antonio and Centro, uh, the downtown PID, uh, we created a design competition to to be held here it's 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 in it's in progress people will see uh some some of the results here very soon in fact these design competitions have produced some really amazing things like the new river barge uh uh, the city hall will be uh completely handicap accessible it used to be that you could not go through the front doors of city hall that will change uh and so this design competition is to to really bring something to light that 
that Are you talking about new buildings or <laughs> existing it, buildings or areas. It, it, we're talking about we we, we want to create a, a shade structure shade structures, whether it's trees and landscaping or architectural elements that can be deployed all over downtown. And so the hope is to make at least eighty percent of downtown. Uh, in some kind of shade so we can enjoy those outdoor spaces. And so it goes back to what we're trying to do with this initiative in, in, in opening up a lot of our streets, opening up a lot of our green spaces, our plazas, to, to uh, allow these businesses, these small businesses, to continue to thrive and welcome people back safely. We, we, we've got to be very careful about it, too. Doing that on Broadway already. People might not realize when they come back downtown, and they haven't been downtown in a while, one of the things, maybe the busiest part of downtown, <coughs> is construction that has been ongoing. And it's maybe easier even because there are fewer people downtown to do some of that construction. But if they haven't been down Broadway, if they haven't been on the west side of downtown, tell them what kind of construction is still going on down there because the money was in the pipeline. That's correct. And, and it's so critical to maintain our momentum. We're, we're a city that has seen a lot of momentum and growth. And that, of course, also means jobs. So uh, in the construction industry, uh, they've been able to continue to work even through this pandemic because of the, the, the industry itself is set up so that you can continue to work and social distance. But, but a lot of those projects, they, they, they were lined up. Uh, we're seeing a lot of growth up and down Broadway, up and down uh, the, the St. Mary's Corridor. Uh, we're seeing a lot on the west side as well, the, the San Pedro Creek improvements. Uh, have helped to spur some of that on. Uh, but we're also focused uh, a lot on housing, uh, making sure that people are, are as, as the city is growing in, in, its, in its most popular area, downtown, the Central Business District, we've got to keep in mind that uh, we've got to develop affordable housing around those areas too. And so we're being smart about that uh, as well as, is, you know, there's adjacencies uh, in those areas that allow us to, to uh, look at areas where the, the dirt or the property is, is uh, re, uh, at least uh, feasible enough or attainable enough to, to potentially create some affordable housing. And you have some it. of that now with Saha getting involved in various areas. Saha, we've got other groups like Alamo Community Group. Uh, we, have a lot, we have a lot of tools at our disposal to help address uh, the, the, uh, what I think is the issue of our time, which is housing. Uh, housing m is, is really uh, probably the most important issue in San Antonio that we're facing. And uh, you know, without, without having the, the appropriate amount of housing, and for, for many, uh, housing that's attainable, that's affordable, then you know, it, it sort of creates all these other chronic effects. What's the first area that's going to come back? It seems to me that the Broadway area up to the Pearl, there's so many new buildings there. The Soto is just about done. Is it, what's the other headquarters right near the Pearl? It's about done. The Credit Human, yeah. Yeah, Credit Human. Um, is that one of the first areas you think will come back or is coming back? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think uh, that a lot of those areas, a lot of those corridors. I think the the areas between Broadway and St. Mary's uh, are 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 going to see a lot of um, uh, bounce back. Also, uh, you other areas like like Southtown, I think, ha are really positioned to uh, to bounce back fairly quickly. Especially if we if we're smart about how we reopen, uh, we have to be we have to uh, again. Going back to the discussion about the entertainment district, well, this is another example of what the city 
can provide and, and, and provide some guidance to, to a lot of small businesses as they try to reopen. Uh, we've got to remember that all these, these areas are so important to our city because they provide that character, that identity that everybody loves about San Antonio, that, that, that live here and that visit San Antonio. So uh, as, as we see these areas, they're, they're really some great outdoor spaces. Um, with the expansion of the Riverwalk, with uh, a lot of the investment in some of these green spaces, um, we can see both north and south sides of, of, of downtown you know, really bouncing back fairly quickly. How about uh, La Villita? There's some changes there that people might not realize as well. Yeah, it's actually pretty exciting. Uh, so, uh, you know, Johnny Hernandez is, is uh, tackling a very, very... Uh, um, Interesting project, and they're they're going to revitalize that with with uh, some some amazing restaurants that are coming in, in, into into uh, La Vita to to have that real in, intimate and very uh, uh, you know, uh, distinct flavor of, of San Antonio. We we are named uh, a, a World Heritage Site for gastronomy, and and this is going to be one of those great examples of, of why, right? And so. Uh, right now, the the architecture around that, the planning is 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 to uh, create a beautiful plaza, lots of shade, uh, lots of opportunities to to go out and enjoy, uh, you know, a place that plays a very significant significant role in our history, and that is, uh, you know, being expressed through these projects. It's it's embracing a lot of that history, uh, while kind of giving us a little bit of a world tour of, of different culinary. Is there uh, more development items. in that area as well around La Vita? I can't remember what the project is that's right there or where, where it is in development. Just to the south of that, I think, wasn't there something? That's well, there's, there's so, many, so many things going on. The, the, the hotel there, well, uh, the, the Fairmont is to the south, but the, the, just further south, the, they're seeing a renovation of that hotel. It's going gonna, it's gonna to engage the Riverwalk uh, a little more thoughtfully and meaningfully. It's, it's going to see its own revamp. And, of course, across the street is Hemisphere, Yanaguana Gardens. Uh, that entire road, in fact, we can't forget that we have uh, $850 million bond, infrastructure bond, that we're in the middle of. So those things haven't stopped. They're happening. Those monies have been set aside. And uh, the, the road that separates Hemisphere and La Villita is, is Alamo, and that's a bond project that's going to be a, a wonderful uh, boulevard, shaded avenue that, that's... Uh, I think it's going to really be amazing. Uh, you know, Yanaguan Gardens is is thriving. Uh, there's so many great things that are happening. How about the with Hemisphere, the Great Plaza, or what? Civic Park. Civic Park. Where are you in that? <clears throat> is that behind because of the pandemic, or just? Yeah, I, I think I think that that there's there's a lot of things still at play with with the. Uh, the hotels and the and, and the garage that are, that are sort of anchoring uh, the 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 uh, or bookending the civic civic park with the convention center, so all that's at at play and uh, I think it's still moving forward, but uh, you know a little slower than than before, but it will happen. Institute of Texas Cult Texan Cultures right there made some massive cuts recently mm-hmm. in, in that old building that also has some issues. You have the federal building, you have the courthouse now, the old John Wood courthouse that the city owns now, right? Because of the land swap. Mm-hmm. What happens to those down the road? Well, 
So the, the Institute of Text and Culture is, is owned by the UT system. So UTSA is is uh, they're they're currently working out what what they can do with with those buildings. Uh, we want to make sure that a lot of the programming that, that the ITC has held all these years is it's it's much like what what we're doing with the, the rest of the, the downtown is protecting and preserving that history. Um, but it telling have the culture done there. I mean, you could move what's in there, and that has been talked about for a while. It, it has been talked about, and again, it's, it, that whole area is sort of uh, being being uh, shaped and formed as we speak. Uh, and that's not part of the original Hemisphere Park plan, right? Those buildings were kind of moved on down the road. Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, things have changed over time, and so uh, the uh, Hemisphere uh, Group is. Uh, uh, is doing a, a great job of, of, of uh, you know, trying to adapt and, and, and plan ahead uh, with, with things like this changing and trying to find those opportunities. But you don't know what's going to happen to those buildings. I don't. Federal building itself, the big box building, one would think is not considered historic. You're the architect, is it? <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it is a, a significant uh, uh, building for its time. And, uh, you know, there, I think the, the, the challenge or the question really is how can you uh, repurpose a building to serve the needs of the community? Uh, how can you find uh, the existing resources that that allow us to be uh, as responsible as we can with with our with our tax dollars, to to repurpose them in a way that uh, really just welcomes more people to to Hemisphere to to really uh, encourage more growth. If you can't, would that be a good place to expand the Riverwalk? <laughs> I think I throwing I, a few I, more grenades at you sure. here. I'll I'll tell you this, Randy. It'd be a great. It'd be great to expand the Riverwalk anywhere. It's it's such a success. It's the number one tourist attraction in Texas. Uh, it is uh, is such an important feature uh, for our city. Uh, it helps to provide so many uh, great uh, examples of how you should build things. How you should you know how how uh, how, how important the river is to San Antonio's history. When we talk about the expanding the Riverwalk, people might think, well, how could you expand the river? But that river bend, while original, you cut a channel through it, the river, and there's a flood tunnel underneath, so you could expand the river channel basically anywhere, right? And, and that was done with River Center, done with Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, in fact, you just got to look at San Pedro Creek to see how, I mean, the, the way they're building San Pedro Creek is very much like Riverwalk was built, and it's basically a, a concrete canal. And so, uh, you know, you, there, there, there's so many great things uh, we can do. But again, the, it goes back to understanding what what our community needs, uh, how to to uh, best utilize those resources to get us there. Uh, you know, in 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 the in the best way possible. You have some other things you're working on right now in, the, in terms of the budget policing where are you on those problems too well you know actually uh we're really proud of this Andy, randy um you know you heard me mention that housing is such an important issue in our city and one of those is how it touches the homelessness issue that i think everybody can see is is rapidly growing 
We are also seeing that there's issues uh, that people are, are facing eviction like, like never before. When, when here we are in a time we're asking people to practice social distancing, stay home, uh, but to a lot of people, they don't have that luxury or that choice when it comes to working. So many service industry employees are seeing reduced hours. Many people who are dependent on getting out and, and interacting uh, are having a difficult time paying rent. So um, one of the things that I think has been uh, really tremendous for us has been that we created a pilot program to to, to approach the homelessness issue through more of a social service, compassionate approach. And uh, we established here in this office, in fact, in this field office, uh, a, a key member from the Department of Human Services, along with an intern uh, that have gone out, got, gotten to know many members of the community, uh, understanding that everybody has an individual need and, and trying to meet them where that need is. Uh, in the six-week period uh, that we have uh, had this pilot, we have, we have helped over 30 people um, get off the streets. Now, is this is a homeless street outreach? Is that the, yeah. What home, you call it? Well, we, we, we have an acronym that, that was created called uh, CAUSE, but it's, it, it is a, the, the generic term is a homeless, homeless uh, strategic outreach. And <clears throat> it's proven to be so successful uh, in, in, in the way we're going about it because it's, it's taking a more compassionate approach and, and trying to f- connect the dots where, where they've never been connected before. Plus, we're embedding them in a council office. So it's, it's been a learning experience for me as well because we had you know, so many interactions. And so even this, just this morning before you got here, I was, I was out there uh, talking to some folks and getting to know them. And at the heart of this is building trust. Um, you know, for, for those that would say that, oh, these people don't want help, I, I, I'm going to disagree. Uh, you know, number one, uh, not only do they want help, but they also, they also need to build trust with somebody to, to make sure that we can get them that help and understand who they are, where they come from, how can we help them. The approach that Centro San Antonio <laughs> has with its outreach downtown. Is that the same kind of thing? No, no. So that we're going to couple some of that with with Centro. We our approach is is working with the Department of Human Services directly. So this is Department of Human Services employee and and an intern from Our Lady of the Lake University. We're also going to be expanding this. So the the point is is that this the way we structured it. Uh, this and by the way, these are paid internships. Is that we uh, by having an employee from DHS or Department of Human Services. Uh, it helps everybody understand where all the resources are and where are the bottlenecks. So I, I'm going to give an example here. Um, in learning, in, in seeing these folks in action and seeing some of the issues that we're having, uh, we can see that there, there's bottlenecks and things like the ID recovery program. So right now the ID recovery program, uh, which we're, we're all very grateful and, and certainly appreciate the fact that uh, was started by SAPD, uh, uh, the Hope Team, and to give uh, homeless people the ability to get IDs that they need, if because they may have lost them. Well, it it is the number one issue, right? It, is it without an ID, it is very difficult to go get the help you need. So it starts with an ID. So many of them, uh, a, a majority of them, do not have something as simple as an ID. So one of the things I learned was that it's 
program that's only available once once a week because you know uh, it's only run by two people right now with some volunteers as well. We're expanding that with DHS and even the city clerk's office. You know, our city clerk, most people don't know, um, you can get your passport at the city clerk's office. It's also where you can get your birth certificate. And guess what? You need a birth certificate to begin your IED recovery. And uh, this is a great way of sort of of learning about where we can potentially help people. In fact, the people I was talking to here were late for a, bu- a, a, a small van that came and picked up many of them to take them down to IED recovery. So they have to wait till next week uh, for it to, uh, to come up again. And it's just another example of how uh, learning about the issue and where maybe some bottlenecks might occur for us as, as policymakers on city council to, to allocate the funding, the resources, the limited resources that we have to help address uh, those needs more, more fully. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we're really proud of that. I think, again, in learning uh, what, are, what are the available resources. One of the hardest things we, we, we can do or is being done is, is developing that trust, getting to know some of these folks, making sure that we are trying to, to actually get somebody off the street. We're not just moving them to another location because that's not moving them off the street. Actually getting them sheltered. Now, I'm going to go back to my issue that I brought up earlier about housing. We must adopt a housing-first strategy. Meaning, when somebody is an issue, uh, to have to take them through uh, the different elements uh, that, that qualify them to get to housing, then you know, that presents uh, another bottleneck or barriers. What we need to do is we need to house people and then meet, their, you know, meet them where they are. So I'll give another example. Uh, a lady who finally said she wanted to receive some help, uh, we took her in to, to go get some help. And it turns out that she needed to be uh, in detox, except that uh, we only had, in this facility, only had 28 beds for detox, and only eight of them for, for women. And, yeah, exactly. I had the same reaction. Why is that? Nobody knows. And so, uh, but, but we know that it's, it's far too little, and there was simply no room for her. But we, here's a person who was willing to get the help, willing to be detoxed, and but we just didn't have the room. So, you know, I think, I think this is why the housing first model must be deployed. We've got to think about housing uh, as, as, a, as a healthcare issue. We must think of housing as something that's a right for many and, or for, for all of us. And so... <clears throat> but it's also a budget issue. How do it, you pay for it? Well, you, you know, I think we're... Right now, especially. We're, we're, we're paying for so many things when we don't, when there's inaction, right? So uh, i give another example. I actually spent the night at, at Haven for Hope to, to see you know, the, the way uh, Prospects Courtyard was being run. And I noticed that there was a lot of issues that people deal with that could be handled through hygiene, right? Simple hygiene, if not taken care of, turns into a medical issue. I mean, I think we all agree with that, right? I mean, we're always, you know, our parents always told, brush your teeth, Take a shower. You know, these are simple hygiene techniques. Well, one of the things we're doing here is we're creating hygiene kits for a lot of these folks that that, that this team is, is meeting with. But 
the, the point I'm trying to make is that we can be proactive and, and find solutions that are actually uh, show us that we can be more responsible with our limited resources and help people at the same time and actually solve the issue. So, you know, what I can say is that uh, we, have, we have limited resources, but let's, let's use those limited resources in a way that's actually helping people w- where, they, where they need the help. And uh, I think that ultimately will save us money and help more people. How about uh, with the budget, we got the tax vote coming up. Uh, do you think that'll pass for, I don't know how it's uh, worded, but instead of the VIA, instead of Edward's Aquifer Protection right now, it is going for, <coughs> you want it to go for what? Well, um, I've... I've 80% sales tax. The one eighth, yeah, this is a, 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 um, a vote uh, for the one eighth cent sales tax. Uh, it is a combination of uh, a workforce development for four years and then the, the transportation plan for, uh, well, in perpetuity. And so uh, I'm very supportive of transportation. I'm also very supportive of, of workforce development. I do think uh, that, again, in, if we were lining up our priorities, um, housing needs to be at the top. How about uh, police funding right now? And down the road, uh, people talk about defunding police mm-hmm. or moving some of the police uh, funds right now to something else. Do you see that happening, and where would they go? Well, so a lot of what we're doing here in the strategic homeless outreach is an example of what defund the police is really about. And so, uh, many people will say, "Well, you know, the, the terminology is, is is it's it's not good marketing because it's it really makes people feel like we're getting rid of the police." And that's that's not the case. What defund the police is really about is is saying, "Look, let's again, we have very limited resources." And, and our public safety apparatus uses two-thirds of our general fund revenue. Uh, police and fire. Police and fire. And so in, in understanding that we could, we could take, we can actually utilize some of those resources in a different way that can, that can help people that doesn't have to be policing, why wouldn't we do that? So the homeless outreach approach is a, a perfect example. And the reason I say that is because what we know is that homelessness is not a crime. And we can't simply pick somebody up and, and haul them off. Uh, that is not, not going to help us. And our own chief of police has said that, that our, that our, that our police officers, are, are, they, they respond to every call that, that they're called to. Uh, but there's some, some things that they just simply can't do because, it's, it's, again, it's not against, if it's not against the law, it's not is not something they can do. So applying uh, social service outreach specialists to go talk to people, understand what some of those issues are, is a is a a form of allocating resources more thoughtfully. The ID recovery program, for example, you know, how many people knew that the city clerk does passports? I bet most of your viewers didn't know that the city clerk does passports, uh, and so. Incorporating the city clerk's office with Department of Human Services and SAPD to expand the ID recovery again is another smart approach. Uh, that's what it, that's about, and I think that uh, we all benefit. I want to leave you with one last thing on on this whole subject. If you call nine one one at this minute, or nine one one 
on a Saturday night, late at night, one in the morning, it's available. The other number that is very important in our city is 311. It's a non-emergency number, but it also is so important because it is everything else that's, that the city helps to support and, that's and provide. 24/7. It's not. Wouldn't it be better to have uh, a more equitable distribution so that our 311 uh, was more readily available? You know, we had an incident here Friday, uh, 9:30 p.m. 311 was not available on Friday night at 9:30 p.m. Uh, neither is is uh, our homeless outreach. There's a lot of things that that we could expand and 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 move our, our our resources, our valuable resources to, that actually help people when they need the help. Like the mental health unit of the police department that was created out of police money, basically. Correct. And so you know, when, and what we're saying is we we can augment all that and we can increase the support with by incorporating all these other people that can actually help and do the good work, right? So, but not take away from, I've got a crime down the road, no. I need somebody right now. In fact, I think what we've done has actually helped to uh, provide the police uh, a way to, to go respond to the actual crime, right? If a, a, One of the most important things we've done in this area was that uh, you know, a, a, a situation where our safe officers were often called to to tackle this particular issue is something that they don't necessarily have to be uh, focused on because our outreach team is here, our homeless outreach team, which is through DHS, through Our Lady of the Lake University, they've been tackling it, and and they will tell you that you know it's not like they're they don't have anything else to do. They absolutely do, and we they you know what I think is our. Our community wants our police to to go where there's a need, where there's a crime happening. Uh, but we also they also want us to to tackle things that are responsible, compassionate, and and actually uh, create a solution and a path forward uh, so that so that we're getting people off the street. I mean, these every story is a human story. Uh, so again, I go back to the housing first model, uh, protecting people, keeping people in their homes. Uh, within this budget, we, we, have, we have expanded what's called the Right to Counsel program that many people who are f- uh, facing eviction can call the, the city for some help and support. And where are the cuts? <laughs> people want to know, okay, you, uh, you got less money now with the pandemic. What are you going to cut? Well, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's been a lot of cuts uh, to, to uh, programs. Uh, one, uh, one of the programs that I started, it's San Antonio Under One Roof. It, it helps to repair uh, roofs for seniors and, and, and those uh, you know, disabled and low income. Uh, it, is, it is about it's less than half of what it was last year. So those are some examples. I mean, a lot of things have seen cuts. A lot of departments have seen you know, cuts of uh, 20% or more. The uh, Department of Arts and Culture has been hit very hard by this. Uh, and there's a lot of things that, that are ha- having to sort of peel back uh, uh, because of the limited resources that we do have. A few more real quick questions. San Antonio's growth has been projected about 1 million more in, what, 20, 25, 30 years. What's the latest projection, and are we prepared for that? 
Well, that's you know that's really at the heart of why we're trying to do uh, what we're trying to do, especially in this budget. Uh, another another thing that you know when when you mention all the people that are coming to our city, it means uh, more dense neighborhoods. It means an impact on our infrastructure. It, it means that we've got to be very thoughtful about how we grow as a city to not uh, make that growth impact us negatively, right? We want it to actually improve the quality of life in our city. One of the things I'm very proud of that we're expanding this year is our sidewalk uh, program. Uh, sidewalks are so important, but they're also kind of the canary in the coal mine for so many things uh, regarding infrastructure. Uh, you go to some of the more affluent neighborhoods and there's good sidewalks. You go into some of the, the, the not-so-affluent uh, neighborhoods and there's uh, broken sidewalks or even no sidewalks. And sidewalks are a necessary infrastructure. They connect us to so many things, especially right now during this pandemic. You know, I see more people out walking, out uh, connecting to things, connecting to the bus stop, connecting to uh, the grocery store kids going to school. It, it's so important to have good sidewalks. Well, in this budget, we've expanded the, the sidewalk repair program. Uh, last week, we, we uh, talked about how uh, we're able to allocate some of our pedestrian mobility dollars that's through our bonds, uh, which means millions of dollars more can actually be applied to fixing and reconstructing sidewalks. Uh, so those sidewalks are in front of older houses the uh, property value is going down in some of those. Some neighborhoods are decaying. How do you deal with all of that? At the same time, you're dealing with the sprawl that comes with more and more people. I, I go back to what uh, I said uh, at the beginning of the interview, is that we, we as a city got to do the things we can do, and then we've got to do them well. So infrastructure is such an important piece of what the city does, right? We've got, we've got to be good at that. Our roads, our lighting, our sidewalks, alleys, sewer, all that's important infrastructure. And, and it shouldn't be that one part of the city has good infrastructure and the other part does not. It creates a domino effect. So equity funding is more important. People don't know what equity funding means, really, or equity development that the city is now into. How do you describe that? Um, you know, I was telling my friend, I was trying to create a, 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 a scenario where, let's say uh, you had a car that was broken down and you had to push the car and, and you were with your son uh, that was maybe 10 years old, but your son wanted to help him push that car. He's given 100% and you're given 100%. You're pushing more, yes, but it's equitable, right? Because your son is pushing 100% too. Not as much, but because he can't. That's equity. And so understanding that, that, you know, equity is not equal. You wouldn't push as hard as your 10-year-old son is pushing. You're not going to get anywhere. Uh, so, you know, if we're going to get this car moving, we've got to be equitably pushing. Uh, a couple last questions about uh, downtown. What's going to happen to things like what's the latest on, say, the Knicks and the Express News building in some of those downtown do you know it, well I think there's a lot of things in flux uh, I, I think that, that, that as we sort of start to see uh, hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel um, the, the momentum that we experienced and saw uh, for downtown and our city for that matter will help uh, you know those buildings which are 
beautiful historic buildings see themselves be repurposed into something uh, valuable and and unique and 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 uh, something that we as a city uh, can can preserve. Uh, you know what we know is that this this city in particular uh, is seeing that that uh, that growth and momentum, which is why, uh, as many people have seen in their property taxes, as property taxes go up, it is a city that is seeing that momentum and seeing that that growth and potential. Uh, time will only tell if this pandemic has affected any of that, um, and uh, we want to we want to be very. Um, uh, cognizant as a city to to help uh, be there in support of, of of growth, but also balance that equitably uh, with the needs of, of of the rest of the community that that is not seeing uh, that prosperity. The last question: When people come up to you and they have questions, what's the biggest one you get? And say, okay, I want to say this for the last time. Here's the answer, or what's your biggest headache right now? That out of all of these, you know, Randy, I got to tell you, I've, I've been at this job almost six years, and uh, I've learned a lot. I really have, and and the most important thing that I've learned is that there's a lot of need in our community. Um, I I accept every issue as a challenge and an opportunity to address something in a thoughtful, meaningful way. I think that the issue that that comes up the most is housing, uh, homelessness. Uh, these, are, these are top of mind. And so uh, my, me and my staff are working day and night to, to try to address things and, and create solutions that actually work. Uh, you know, sidewalks are tied to housing. As you pointed out, there's, there may be some neighborhoods where the sidewalks are terrible and, and they're broken, and they've been broken for, for, the, for two, three, three decades. Uh, why is that? Well, you know, it, it's we can choose to do something about it, or we can choose to ignore it. And um, you know, my my goal, I think, is uh, is to really listen to what what are the issues happening in our in our community, and and go from there. I, housing, I think, uh, presents the best opportunity for all of us. We um, we are a city of compassion, and I think that if we can uh, really uh, dive deep into uh, housing and the housing first uh, model. Uh, we will help people uh, where they live now. We will help people facing eviction. We will help people with affordable housing and we will help the homelessness issue. All those things are really, really big. I think it'll transform our city in, in so many ways, improve the quality of life no matter where you live. Thanks very much for all your time. Appreciate it.